The views and opinions expressed on Analyze This are entirely those of the on-air participants and do not reflect those of the station's board, management, staff, or underwriters. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I am Summer Sibley Brown and I'm filling in for Neville James as the host of Analyze This from WTGX 93.1, your NPR station in the Virgin Islands. It is a beautiful, bright, sunny day today. It is also D. Hamilton Jackson Day, November 1st. We talked about him a little bit yesterday. So, both happy and solemn D. Hamilton Jackson Day Virgin Islanders. Yes, most affectionately known as Bull and Bread. But listen, it is David Hamilton Jackson Day. Period, right? Period, right? And so I'm going to say this because it's coming in my ear. Just in case you didn't know, partner the name what is Red Brick. Part, you know, no, 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 the engineer, the partner, the name Red Brick after, but really not just a partner. Yesterday we talked to him about him. He was an educator. He was an agitator. He was a community advocate. He was a lawyer. He was a teacher. He was a judge. He was on the um, colonial council for St. Croix. He was on the municipal council. He traveled to Denmark to lobby on our behalf. He traveled to the United States to lobby on our behalf. He worked right here. He was a huge, huge, I guess today we'd call him an influencer. He was a huge influencer and agitator for the people of the VI. And today, in 2022, this holiday was started in 1981. He was around in uh, 19, well, in 1917 is when he was becoming a lawyer, right? So let's let's just think about time frame. But David Hamilton Jackson, so today is his day. We honor him when you traverse in these streets on your way to Grove to go to Bull and Bread as we affectionately call it, you know, just think about the reason. Please take a moment and think about the reason we go there. Um, yesterday, I talked a little bit about the continuum, the spectrum of change that the work is on. He was advocating for things like citizenship. Is that still important? He was advocating for things like the right for us to, the Herald, right? The newspaper, freedom of speech. Those things still important? Like he was advocating for us to have some security here. And um, he was a labor union advocator. Law, work, he, he organized one of the first labor strikes. So David Hamilton Jackson, um, I just want you to remember why you are off today um, for those of you who are actually up and listening to us on this holiday. Um, this morning, I am so excited for today. It's a holiday and I wanted to sleep in, but what got me out of my bed and in the studio on time is because I'm going to have re two really amazing guests. And our first amazing guest is Deanna James. Um, she is the president of the St. Croix Foundation for Community Development. When we talk about community activism, when we talk about saving space for people when we talk about you know that 
agitating when we talk about making our needs known. Um, St. Croix Foundation is second to none. So I'm happy on this day that we get to have some of those, you know, that the quiet riot, the quiet revolution conversations uh, with an organization that is holding firm for the territory in many ways. And then in the second hour, we'll be speak, we'll be doing our Candidate Speak series and I'll have Senator Alma Francis Heiliger calling in. And so, you know, we're going to do what we do. And Deanna James is in the building and people, you do not know, you <laughs> may not know how important it is that she is physically sitting in front of me so morning Deanna good morning Summer how are you doing I am wonderful and excited to see you yes I'm glad to be here on a special day yeah today really is a special day um I guess for the people who may not know um who St. Croix Foundation is and who you are well let's start a little bit about Joy James data um and then why you work for the St. Croix Foundation so you want me to just talk about myself? <laughs> I know. You're like, oh, my God, why did something? And, you know, one of the things that I think people take for granted is how, how big the human is in the work. Mm-hmm. And we talk about people who are from here doing work for here mm-hmm. all of the time. And people hear the name Deanna James, and they might even hear your proper English accent and yeah. not know who you are. And yes. be like, oh, that's a, that's a, she's not from here. No, this yeah. is, this is a data of the soil yes. um, who just happens to have really great <laughs> enunciation. <laughs> yeah, so I am, yes, I'm a Virgin Islander. I'm a native Virgin Islander. Um, you and I have a couple of things in common, including having roots in St. Thomas. Um, but I was born and raised on St. Croix. I consider myself to be a Crucian through and through and love this island. Um, really grateful to have spent um, the bulk of my career um, here. Um, on St. Croix and I you know, obviously had options and choices to do like so many of us have done, which is to, you know, uh, relocate to the States and did spend some time up there, but there's nothing like home and there's nothing like doing the kind of work that I do um, and that we do um, social impact work here in the place that kind of like shaped you and molded you. So you said, you know, social impact work. You know, Neville, if he was here, he's like, oh, we we bringing out the vernacular. You know, I keep Neville's spirit in here with me because he's always, his new word is nuance and vernacular. So, but talk about social impact work and the kind of work you do and where you work. So, yeah. So when I started at the foundation, I had just moved back. I didn't even know how to spell, like, I didn't know what philanthropy was. I didn't understand what the field was. I didn't really understand civic um, the civic sector, it was, it was still all very new to me. I'd spend time in the private sector. I'd spend time in the public sector. And um, had some incredible mentors um, uh, that helped to really uh, shape and mold my understanding of um, how important the third sector is in community development. Um, people like uh, Claudette Young-Hines, um, your friend Del Gerard was on the board and um, had the great fortune to really do a, a lot of research around who was sitting at the table when St. Croix Foundation was uh, conceptualized. People like Brendel's father, Philip Gerard, um, Morty Golden, Ruth Beagles. Um, there were some really impressive people. Um, a lot of the people at that time were community activists. And so they injected a, a spirit of revolutionary um, sort of fight in the um, format of, of the foundation. So we look different than most community foundations. We serve differently. And it took me a long time, actually, when I stepped into 
um, a leader, the leadership role at the foundation, almost, I think tomorrow is eight years, <laughs> um, eight years ago. Um, I, I really, um, dedicated myself to understanding like why we exist and what my, my mission was supposed to be as the leader of the family. And I didn't know at the time that I would become the first native local black person leading a community foundation in the U.S. Virgin Islands, which I think is very interesting, despite the fact that community foundations, there are three of them, have been um, in the territory for over 30 years. So that was an interesting, um, you know, sort of revel uh, evol um, revelation for me that we, um, we, we still have a long way to go here in the Virgin Islands. Yeah, no, I would, I would say, I would say yes. Um, you know, and and we, in this time we're in philanthropy because for the listening audience, I have a small nonprofit that is in relationship with the Synchro Foundation, and it's um one of the places where I received a large amount of mentorship. So I have a lot of reverence and respect for the work of the foundation, and for you know that's why it's an honor to interview. Deanna James, because I remember my first conversation with you. It was you and Roger Dewey, and I. We were sitting in the conference room, and I had felt so honored that I had gotten invited to a quote unquote meeting with the foundation. And um, I was talking about farm to school and food security, and I was so excited. And and Deanna, you looked at me, and you were like, like take it all the way. You was like, you you're thinking small, like go to Whole Foods, go to Oprah. Like you gave me this really large charge, right? Like, yes, what you're talking about is important and do what you need to do, but just like expand your field of possibility, yes. right? And um, that moment changed me because... I took the assignment very seriously, right? And on another show, because this show's not about me and you, but on another show, we could talk about um, what expanding that field of possibility has really done for me mm -hmm. um, and hopefully for the Virgin Islands because yes. we do this work Obviously. For, for the yes. territory. But it's also been a journey of me changing. Mm -hmm. um, I wait. remember what did I used to say to you, Summer, all the time, like as as the I Good Food Coalition was, was evolving. like it used to be, are you ready? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was the question. She was like, no, no, no. Are you ready? And so, Deanna, as, like, let's speak to readiness, right? Because yeah. here you are, um, Virgin Islander. I'm going to say highly qualified. You have requisite experience. You are working in the St. Croix Foundation. Mm -hmm. You're plummeted into leadership. Um, and... Eight years later, the question is, were you ready? And what are you ready for now? I was absolutely not ready. You know, I, 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 I'm one of those people that, like, I never sought to be at the forefront of anything. That's not, I'm, I, I love to lead from behind. And when um, my predecessor announced that he was retiring, I literally put in my letter of resignation. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want that. <laughs> um and um, the board begged and pleaded. They, you know, Deanna, you've been here 12 years. You, you know the organization better than, like, just give it a year or so. And, of course, eight years later, I'm still here. And I'm really glad that I stuck it out. But I wasn't ready. Um, I knew there were going to be some inherent challenges in how I was going to be received as a local woman trying to receive and uh, raise money from predominantly white donors. Um, that was a real 
challenge. I, I, I expected it. And as I expected, it was, I would say most of our donors left when uh, my predecessor left. Um, and so I had to be innovative and I had to be resilient um, uh, in how I led the organization. And that has been an incredible um, learning experience for me. And I think I, I'm I'm better for it. I'm a better person. I'm a better leader, a better uh, sort of citizen of the world because I went through that experience. And my perspective is so much greater. The network that we've been able to build at the foundation expands beyond our shores. And what I said to my board is that I will never jeopardize um, the future of this organization by building personal relationships, like the relationships that I seek to build for the organization are for the organization and for the community. And I, I feel like I've been successful in doing that. So as you're talking, I think that, you know, we're in the world of, in this current moment, it's been more important than ever for as a nation and I think mm -hmm. as a world for us to discuss equity, for mm -hmm. us to discuss power, for mm -hmm. us to discuss um, representation mm -hmm. um, and diversity mm -hmm. and it's a really common conversation you know and everybody's like their justice diversity mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. every organization mm -hmm. has a really cool name mm -hmm. for the justice equity inclusion diversity blip you know like it's there's a title mm -hmm. um, and we focus on it um, and when you when you talk about the ways in which philanthropy mm -hmm. itself mm -hmm. and um, fundraising in a small community that is predominantly mm -hmm people of color, but driven, right, by those with mm -hmm. the socioeconomics mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. to actually give that money mm -hmm. and the role that relationship that that because they're not our social network mm -hmm. we didn't we don't have the same social networks yeah. so we're not invited to the same parties we're not seated at the same table mm -hmm. so and our ask comes across differently right one ask is like peer to peer mm -hmm. and then one ask i don't say we don't this mm -hmm. npr right. let's mm -hmm. be real one, one ask it almost feels like begging for charity That's right, right? Mm -hmm. like poor poor me please mm -hmm. come help us so mm -hmm. i could help other people mm -hmm. because we're not in their network That's right. right um and hopefully that flips because people will look at us on our face mm -hmm. and say well this is all black and brown community mm -hmm. they, they don't have those same issues with equity yeah. negatory yeah. Um, yeah because of the limited yes. resources it, it, so, you know, I wrote about this uh, uh, two years ago. I wrote an article on race and philanthropy, and it was just me sort of like like having this cathartic moment to, to be able to kind of unpack, you know, um, now I'm, this year is 20 years that I've been at the foundation and 20 years of perspective sitting in this field that is so much about money and yet at the same time, believing deeply in the nobility of philanthropy, which in its rawest definition is the law, the love of humankind, right? And so um, the juxtaposition of, you know, love and, um, and service and money and power is I think where we sit in every single day in philanthropy. And I sat for 12 years um, with my predecessor watching, you know, transactions happen and knowing deep in my soul that I could not engage in the same way. I knew I would not be able to engage in the same way. And I knew that the way in which, you know, each, uh, each person in that transaction holds power differently was going to be a battle that I would have a personal 
um, intellectual and conscious, like a battle of my consciousness that I would have to contend with um, if I stepped into that position. And I was very, 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 I, I, every time we know we get together and we convene with our national partners, I get emotional because it wasn't until I met, you know, four black women in philanthropy that basically said, Deanna, we got you. Um, you're going to be all right. Um, that things really and radically shifted for me and my leadership journey and shifted for the foundation. And so um, I'm incredibly grateful. Like you talk about the importance of mentors that I had those women. They're still very much a part of my life. They're still very much a part of my professional and personal journey. And um, they're still very much a part of the evolution and growth of the St. Croix Foundation. So it's interesting because earlier last week, we had a, a guest um, for Startup Battle, Colin Allen Nance, and he was talking about the ecosystem of entrepreneurship or mm -hmm. building an entrepreneurial ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And everything he was talking about for entrepreneurs, Diana, he was talking about um, the inability to access capital. And he was he basically said it. Mm -hmm. He was like, I'm the quintessential picture of what people want to give to you. I'm a 6'5 white man, mm -hmm. you know. Um, mm -hmm. And if I am having challenges accessing capital, what, what about people of color what about women mm -hmm. and his thing is i wanted to make this accessible and when he was saying that i was like oh my god you might as well be talking to a nonprofit, right mm -hmm. because the struggle to access capital operation capital you know program money it is so hard and then mm -hmm. it's so it's even harder because of our geographic location That's right. That's right. because we fall out of so mm -hmm. many we fall out of so many of the things that mm -hmm like the geographic region for funders, right? Yes. So the yep. South is underfunded, but the Virgin yeah. Islands is almost like... Non-funded. It's not funded. It's invisible. They don't even know we exist. No, and it, that invisibility piece it's seems to be like our longstanding issue. We're going to go and take a really a hot minute, just a quick break, because I'm loving this conversation. Mm -hmm. I hope you are too. I'm Summer Sibley Brown. I'm on with Deanna James. When we come back, we talk a little bit more about the foundation, and we're going to talk about what the foundation has coming up. takes you across this country and around the world with stories that keep you informed and the context to understand what matters. The news comes at you quickly, but we slow it down to examine each story from different angles and give perspective on what might happen next. A brand new day comes with new possibilities and a new edition of Morning Edition from NPR News. Weekdays from 5 to 8 a.m. on WTJX-FM 93.1. 
Good morning, neighbor. I see you got your bumper stickers and yard sign up, Paulie. Yes, I'm so ready for this election season. Me too. Just waiting for the info on the polling places and then ballots. What polling places? You mean voting centers? The election system is using voting centers this year, where you can go anywhere across the island, walk in, fill out a ballot. Just bring your ID. Really? Because my daughter lives in Tutu, but walk all the way by the airport and would try to run back home before the sun goes down to vote. Nope. You're no longer stuck to just your neighborhood on election day. Voting centers mean you can vote anywhere in your district. And the next time, try the early voting option too. Skip the line altogether on election day. Girl, you have all the good tips this year, man. So, who's going to win? Ha! Read my yard sign. Then pick any voting center. Just remember, voting is not just your right. It's, it's the, the right, right thing, thing to do. A message from the election system of the Virgin Islands. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. And you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. So we are back. I tell you, my favorite saying is to say, and we're back. Every time Neville say that, I'd be like, that's my job. But um, we're back on November 1st. This is the Hamilton Jackson Day. I'm telling y'all. So if you're feeling like going out, be safe. But there are events. If somebody knows of events that are happening in St. Thomas, you can feel free to text me or give us a call at the end of the show. I'll say the number. But for now, we are on with the awesome, the incredible, the powerful, the impactful, <laughs> Deanna James. She's like, I'm going to kill Stop. someone when we get out of air. Um, but Deanna, we were we were talking in, in, you know, in our intro, we were learning a little bit about who Deanna is, a daughter of the soil, um, how long she's been at the St. Croix Foundation and the fact that tomorrow makes eight years in leadership. And we talked a little bit about just like the struggle and how real it is in philanthropy and the tension, right? Mm -hmm. I think what I want to name for our listening audience is that at the tension of like Deanna said this really prolific thing, like they sit at the juxtaposition of like serving community, like humanity and like the the charge of nonprofit profit which is the love of humanity mm -hmm. and then the opposite side is like the power the wealth mm -hmm. the funding and mm -hmm. you're in between as mm -hmm. a hybrid mm -hmm. um foundation so i would love to talk a little bit about what a hybrid foundation is and what this hybrid foundation has done mm -hmm. um i mean i know you have a lengthy life but let's narrow it down like <laughs> to the past eight years so that is such a loaded question because it's the it's the part of how we work that we we have to push against every single day. Um, when when I remember my first uh, uh, council on foundations, where you know all the national foundations come together, and I, you know, I went there with a couple of board members, and I was so excited, and I literally spent I think the first day just going from session to session, just trying to figure out like why don't I understand what anybody is saying? Why don't I like see anything that looks even remotely like St. Croix Foundation? And finally settled in a session that was hosted by an Ecuadorian community foundation. And I was like, oh, this is us. 
And that has remained the truth for me for the next 20 years, uh, that the, the next 20 years that I was in philanthropy, that there are very few foundations that look like us, that serve like us. And it every single day I get increasingly more reverent to our founders because they were revolutionaries. Like, you know, there's so many... Uh, conversations in the field of philanthropy of like how does philanthropy do internally what it funds communities to do which is to change to evolve mm-hmm. and yet we sit in a space that has for over a hundred years has not evolved it's about money it's about hoarding money our board decided early on that you know being this one thing which is a grant maker and consuming and hoarding an incredible amount of resources. And then by law, um, foundations only have to disperse 5% of Mm. what they hold, the assets they hold annually. And so you think about some of these foundations that are sitting on $2 billion or $500 million, and they by law only have to disperse 5% of that annually. And you think, like, are, is, this, like, is this real? Is there a real commitment to equity? Is there a real commitment to social change in this field that I'm a part of? And then I, I go back further and I think about, you know, Philip Girard and, the, you know, Ajua and all these people sitting at a table 32 years ago and deciding, like, yeah, no, that's not what we want to be. And, you know, Philip had, uh, he had uh, uh, a role with, uh, Tri, I think it was Tri Island uh, Community Development Corp that had gone bankrupt and had left um, uh, a track of sort of a block of properties abandoned. Um, uh, Ajua had this real like, you know, uh, activist background. Sure does. Um, and still has it. Um, you had people like uh, Michael Newberger, who's actually a really good friend of Philip's. Um, really thinking about like you know a holistic approach to philanthropy, and all of those minds coming together and thinking like, well, let's be a little bit of all of that. Let's be a little bit community development corp where we're actually revitalizing properties, and we have uh, that'll be sort of the asset base for the foundation is to um, to own property instead of owning money. Um, that property then can be used to support and serve the community. Let's be a little operating foundation where we actually have the ability to administer our own programs and provide direct services. And then we can do some grant making, but grant making doesn't lead the work. And and that's who we are today. When we say hybrid, um, we're a little bit of a lot of things. We're not just one thing. And part of what informed the decision around not being a conventional community foundation, which basically you raise money and you award that money to nonprofits. But the reality is that we were uh, we were launched literally a year after Hurricane, almost exactly to the day a year after Hurricane Hugo. So not only was there very little infrastructure on the island, there's very little social infrastructure. The nonprofits were kind of crippled beyond what their typically the conditions they typically um, existed under, and government was even in worse condition. And so one of the decisions that I think has really been the most important decision that was made was to serve as a fiscal sponsor. And the, the, the thinking was, 
well as a grant maker and a conventional community foundation, you raise money to award to nonprofits. But if you have low capacity nonprofits, who are you raising the money for? And are you, in fact, competing Mm. for resources with the same organizations that you say you're there to support and to lift up? And so they decided that instead of like, you know, feed a man a fish and you feed them for a day, you teach a man to fish, you feed them for a life for life. And so being a fiscal sponsor and being not a traditional fiscal sponsor, like really providing mentorship, providing um, capacity building, professional development to our nonprofits, you know, we get to watch them, you know, grow and evolve. And I look at Farmers in Action started under the foundation years and years and years ago. And to watch them standing on their own is really, really amazing. I watch a lot of organizations, nonprofits that are doing really great things today, um, you know, evolving to independence um, and um, and knowing that we had a little role to play in that is really, you know, it's um, it's affirming. Little role is really, um, <laughs> I'm going to say, I'm talking for myself. I can't speak for any other nonprofit, um, but a little role, <laughs> you know, that you're underselling um, because Good Food is still a fiscally mm-hmm. sponsored project of mm-hmm. the Sincre Foundation. And so that level of mentorship, relationship, support, um, your staff probably speaks to me <laughs> almost as much as they speak to you because I'm like, that. that is, it is that level of hand-holding, mm-hmm. you know, um, We've been around since 2012 and mm-hmm. still 10 years later, we're still talking and they're mm-hmm. still working on my behalf on a mm-hmm. daily basis, even today, mm-hmm. like preparing to do things like cut checks mm-hmm. to make sure people That's who right. support us get paid. So it's 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 some of that back off back end stuff that is also giving us support mm-hmm. to small organizations who don't have the capacity. They want to mm-hmm. do good work, but they don't have the capacity to do that work. Mm-hmm. Deanna. I want to talk to you specifically. You talked about community development. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked about revitalizing areas and buildings. Mm-hmm. And um, I think a lot of people know the foundation for that mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. Um, since the hurricane, mm-hmm. um, I think you have some revitalization mm-hmm. efforts um, that mm-hmm. are meaningful. And I would yes. like us to share with the audience. Okay. So um, so when... Uh, I would say, I think it's back in 1997, 98... Um, the board of the foundation uh, petitioned to become court-appointed receivers of a block of properties that used to be owned by Tri Island. I think people from St. Thomas remember TriMart. They they owned TriMart and they owned um, a block of properties in Sunday Market Square, and they had abandoned them. And uh, the uh, Community Development Corp went bankrupt. And uh, Philip petitioned. To, I think he was sitting on the board of of Tri Island. Uh, uh, Community Development Corp at the time and a petition for the foundation to become court appointed receivers, which we did. And, uh, and uh, over the years, through partnerships with Barclays Bank and other um, banking partners, were able to purchase. Um, I think it started out at seven properties, but we um, we sold several of them early on immediately to the organ- the entities that were, were operating out of them. I think Gary's Bakery was one of them and a couple of other uh, businesses. And then slowly but surely with uh, funding, CDBG funding at the time, of course, there was CDBG funding after Hurricane Hugo and, um, and then after Marilyn, 
that they were able to slowly begin revitalizing and restoring some of those properties. And then through partnerships with Anti-Litter and Beautification Commission, which was, you know, the uh, predecessor to waste management, um, we did the Scrape Paint Rejuvenate Program, which people like really got to know the foundation for the work. I think we were responsible for the re- renovation, restoration of a, over probably 100 properties in Christiansted Town. Um, uh, and uh, the back streets also uh, abandoned lots. We shared all of our strategic plans and uh, uh, programming with uh, our town, Fedjikstead. They were able to replicate that in Fedjikstead. And then we did the same with EDA in St. Thomas. And now EDA holds Great Paint Rejuvenate program and they um, lead that work. Um, and so, you know, the, the the community development, community revitalization work was, a lot of people know the foundation for that, but we own seven properties. We were able to restore um, two and a half. Um, and one of them that, that we were not able to, that's just sat uh, as part of our portfolio is the Alexander Theater. Um, and then the 35 King, which most people know as uh, Winston Hodge and Albert Sheen's law office. Um, now houses the bike patrol unit, um, Christian said bike patrol unit, and we have allowed them to uh, have that space for free. We also had another space that Catholic Charities ran their soup kitchen out of for almost 20 years for free. Um, and so there, you know, Hurricane Marie actually uh, created opportunities for us to continue the vision and to really build out the vision that um, Philip and all of the, our founding board members had for Sunday Market Square. And um, we've like put all of that on the back burner because we had so many other priorities, education and economic development um, work that we were doing. Um, and so this is kind of this uh, manifestation of, you know, 25 years of a vision that we held um, and that now we're being able to move forward. And I'm really excited about that. The Alexander Theater in particular is going to be, I think, an incredible asset for the island of St. Croix. So one of the things we talk about also is the fact that you've been around long enough to hold vision, mm-hmm. right? Um, Deanna's the first person who was just like, you know, the civic sector really functions as municipal government mm-hmm. in the Virgin Islands, mm-hmm. right? We are that layer in between, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that layer of service, mm-hmm. direct service and answer um, when our local government may not have the resources and private sector businesses don't exist to mm-hmm. do it mm-hmm. or don't have the capacity to serve more. That's right. Right. The municipal the civic sector mm-hmm. um, is here filling in that gap, right? Mm-hmm. And there's something that you share with me about just our ability to be steady. You're mm-hmm. talking about holding a 25-year vision That's right. to achieve something for a property that doesn't happen, mm-hmm. and, and let's just name it, that doesn't happen in, in the public sector, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Because of the mm-hmm. constant transition. Or the private sector. Like our our civic sector is that I mean there's there are leaders in the civic sector. I've been at the foundation twenty years. Um, you know, women's coalition has had steady leadership. Lutheran Social Services has had steady leadership for a very long time. Uh, Fedrick said healthcare has had steady leadership for a long time. And when you think about what that means for holding a vision and then actually, you know, driving that vision across the finish line. Um, is is powerful in a community where you know the private sector 
you know, there's there's oftentimes a lot of of uh, transient sort of you know players in our private sector, and then our public sector. You know, every two to four years, you know, there are different leaders, and I I I feel like I have the incredible privilege of the long view. Been around long enough to, and you know, did enough work in in education to like be able to sit back and be like, you know, the contributions we made in education were great, but like I told you so <laughs> in some ways because um, a lot of the things that we were fighting for and trying to support our partners with um, got a lot of pushback, and um, you know, those those issues still exist. Those mm. issues still exist. Um, 15, 20 years later. And so um, the work that we're now doing, which is almost squarely focused on our sector, is the right lane for us. And and to be able to see work conceptualized and then advanced, like people have ideas, but then they actually do stuff with those ideas is like, I think that just keeps us motivated every single day. So when you talk about being able to see work conceptualized and to see work advance, um, I think I think the listening audience needs to learn. And, you know, in like in our second, in our last segment, we're going to talk a little bit about the nonprofit consortium. Um, I think another event or or something that the foundation might be quite famous for, right, which is not the whole lane, but like food and wine. Mm-hmm. Right. So where people might know you for scrape, paint, rejuvenate. I think a lot of people know you yes. for food and wine. And just bringing up that role, the role yep. in visibility, what that does. And the fact that I think something's coming up. Something's coming up. Something's <laughs> coming up. We also want to let the community know that. And then also just a little bit, I mean, you know, kids count. Because mm-hmm. that's also, that's a new undertaking um, mm-hmm. in terms of like the data that mm-hmm. we have available for use. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those are pretty interesting areas. Um, before we go to break though, I want to ask you a one word question, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you had to put one word to your work, what would it be? Oh, my God, that's a hard question. <laughs> that's a hard question? It is. Okay, so, I mean, because I feel like you... you I feel like you... you I want to say something. See, I have some things that I want to say, but I'm like, yeah, Deanna, uh, be careful. One word. Revolution. Revolution. So, right, <laughs> listening to WTJX 93.1, right, your NPR station in the Virgin Islands. I am Summer Sibley, and we're going to take a break. We're going to move to break on the word revolution. If you're yeah. up this morning, be so inspired. <laughs> when we come back, we're talking to Deanna James of the St. Croix Foundation. of St. Croix, our mobile apps provide access to business accounts on the go, and our merchant card services accept credit and debit payments anywhere, anytime. 
Plus, the online banking platform means your bank is always open. Bank of St. Croix has two locations, one in Gallows Bay at 340-773-8500 and one in Peter's Rest at 340-713-8500. BankofStCroix.com. We stand on the shoulders of the women who came before us. Women who were told they were bad with money. Women who couldn't even get a credit card without a man co-signing. Women who fought for their own financial futures. And now it's our turn to lead the way. Join us at WeSaySaveIt.org. Where women of all ages and all budgets are learning how to save for retirement. You work hard. You make money. Now make that money work for you. Invest in yourself at WeSaySaveIt.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Parents, have you struggled with finding safe spaces for your children to meet up and learn through play and social interaction? Teen Time at the VI Children's Museum offers fun family learning for children ages 12 to 18 years old. A free program for all participants. For dates and information, 340-643-0366 or teentime at vichildrensmuseum.org. Saturday mornings, we're here for you with Weekend Edition. Two hours of news, interviews, new music, new books, rattling good stories, interesting people, challenging analysis, laughs, air shows, and donkey rides for the kids. So come along with us. Weekend Edition, Saturday mornings from NPR News. Weekend Edition, Saturdays at 8 a.m. on WTJX FM 93.1. If you're just tuning in, you're catching, you know, the roundup. We're wrapping up, but not quite finished, of a really great conversation with Deanna James with the St. Croix Foundation. Um, we've talked about Deanna. We've talked about the foundation. We've talked a little bit about revitalization. And, I, you know, I want to remind people that another place you might know the foundation from is, um, well, St. Croix Food and Wine. That's right. Um, I don't even know what year we're in. We're probably in, like, 15th year uh, of St. Croix Food and Wine. We actually had uh, a, a pause, a hiatus because of, of COVID and we've been really um, thoughtful about how to restart um, and be safe and keep the community safe. Um, and so we decided that we would dip our toe back in um, uh, our event series work um, with one event, <laughs> which will uh, be on December 1st. It's Wine in the Warehouse. It's the... Yes community favorite it's you know for wine lovers um uh it's an incredible partnership between bulky international um aviation and uh cc1 used to be southern glaciers now coca-cola one um are incredible partners and uh and sponsors of that event and it's just come out if you you want to pretend like you're you know, um, jet, jet and jet setting on, you know, a Learjet, like, you know, the Kardashians or someone, um, you have an opportunity, um, to sit on, on some of their fleet of, of, uh, of, uh, planes and that will be, um, on display and drink some of the best wine that we have to offer in the Virgin Islands, eat some really great, um, food and, and dance and have fun. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I, tickets go on sale today. Like, listen. so, and there's a limited number of tickets. So we're, you know, encouraging yeah. people to get them early. We had people calling all week Do and we're like, Yana, oh God. James, I didn't, <laughs> listen, when you were saying you had, you dip me into one, you had one event. I swear in my head, I was like, please let me wine in the warehouse. It is wine. Please let me wine in the warehouse. <laughs> okay, yeah. sorry. Okay. So. I just want you to know, I want to be there. Mm-hmm. I want to be at Wine and the Warehouse. It is absolutely, yes. when you said community favorite, yes. I was like, oh my God, that's my favorite. Yes. It is so much fun. Yes. And it is also so swanky. Yes. Right. I think it's that is a great it, event. I think that is what, um, that is what is fun yeah. about it. It is yes. like, it is actually a swanky event. Yes, and in okay. the Virgin Islands, we have a lot of beautiful events, mm-hmm. but like swanky, like, you know, yeah. Just the environment's yeah. beautiful. Like yeah. everything is just, I yeah. can't wait. It's a great, it's a great event. And we, you know, it's really, we, you know, the theme is food, fun, and philanthropy. It really is at the end of the day about the work. And we've really worked hard over the last several years to bring it back to the oh work. Oh my God. And the tasting stations. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh and we've got God. the cake man. So yeah, it's going to be a lot of, uh, it's, there's, there's a lot of reasons that people should not want to miss it. And it's, you know, we're kicking off the holiday season. So uh, December one. So I will be there. Yes. I will be there. <laughs> and so if you're listening, you know, wine in the warehouse, I just want to say wine in the warehouse is dipping its toe mm-hmm. back in. Yes. Um, you know, there's a limited, there's limited space. So yes. go on St. Croix um, Foundation's website. Yes. And um, look up more information. Yeah. Right. So you could prepare yourself and make a critical yeah. choice if you want to be yeah. in attendance. Yeah. I am saying publicly, <laughs> I want to be, I will be in <laughs> attendance. Like I, <laughs> I'm speaking in the yeah. affirmative. Yes. Um, I think more work that is less common mm-hmm. to our community might be our nonprofit consortium, mm-hmm. right? Like there's this hidden gem, mm-hmm. this big, big, big work that actually has national recognition, mm-hmm. right? People all over the United States and internationally like, oh my God, the thing that you've done mm-hmm. in this small space mm-hmm. with nonprofits and most people do not mm-hmm. know it. So I wanted to yeah. give you a chance to share a little bit about the nonprofit consortium. So it was us thinking through like how do we deepen the relationships that we have with our nonprofits we've served as a fiscal sponsor we know nonprofits intimately but how do we take it to the next level and um it started with an invitation to just come and sit at the table and just commune and convene and um we did that in 2016 exactly a year before hurricane maria and about 50 nonprofits came to the table 30 around 30 have stayed and we have built, I think, just one of the most inspirational spaces that I spend time in in the Virgin Islands. And I am incredibly, incredibly grateful for the camaraderie, for the vision, for the innovation, for the level of collaboration that happens in that space. And I think it doesn't happen often enough in the Virgin Islands. And so um, this is... In, in so many ways for all of us at the foundation, a sacred space. There is genuinely love at the center of how we come together. And that for me is a blessing. 
No, I, I, you're saying there's genuinely love, and I'm like, yeah, who at that table don't I love? No, there's mm. no, no, there's nobody. And sometimes you don't like them. Sometimes, no, but no, we I all mean, lo- we all love each other. So let's let's be clear. <laughs> Listen, Diana James is one of the people I love most in the world, and we have conversations. We, have, yeah, we walk away like, like, I don't, I don't, I don't like not, not today, today, but that's all right. Not okay. t- not today. It's like sister love, you it know. Really, sometimes you go fight and call. You have to come back. It, it really is, um, and I think that is the beauty of the work Mm -hmm. where we have become comfortable Mm -hmm. being together in difference, right? Yes. It's really wonderful when we agree. Yes, that's great. And that happens. Mm -hmm. But there is so much Mm -hmm. diversity around that table and so Mm -hmm. much difference in how we think things should be done, where the need is, expertise, Mm -hmm. um, life experience, vision, length of time running an organization. Like when that together yeah when that comes to the center Mm-mm. um and how we hold magic. our difference is really like interesting because people will be like oh y'all really passionately mm-hmm. debating and yeah. then yeah. you all are also <laughs> hugging and yeah. saying yeah. goodbye and mean it you know our very very dear friend sister um teacher consultant tuesday ryan hart um said something and I, I i told her i'm gonna repeat it you know for the rest of my life i'll repeat it but she said something that just changed, and she's our systems change uh, consultant who's done so much work with us in our uh, nonprofit consortium. And um, she said, relationship is a resolution. And I just like, I'm like, there's something so profound about that, about you can solve anything when you are in relationship with people. And I think about like the work that we've done with her where, you know, we start out kind of like, not connected and by the end of a you know a session or you know a week of working with her you know she'll ask us like what is the problem that i could i could sit in the center of this circle that could not be solved mm-hmm. and no one can think of it like it's we could because we're in such close relationship with each other we could solve almost anything and it's such a lesson about like all of the challenges these systemic challenges that we see in our community and that frustrate the heck out of me because I'm like if we were just working together we were really working together we would put you know get out of the camps that we sit in and work together, we could solve these problems. So it really is a matter of will, and I think it's uh, the the nonprofit consortium has is building a model. It's building a model. I sit in national spaces all the time, and they're like, "How did you do that? Like, how did you?" And I said, "It took time. the The first year was there was no agenda really. It was just come and sit, just make a commitment to sit, and and then we had a crisis, which was the hurricane and the relationships that we had nurtured, the trust that we had nurtured over the course of a year um, sort of transitioned into this really dynamic collaboration of, of, of civic leadership. And it's been, um, I, I don't know, I don't know what the foundation would be without it. I don't know how to make decisions at the foundation without it. I, I, I don't make decisions without my partners anymore. Um, I don't think of the foundation as leading anything. I feel like we are facilitating and supporting and um, fulfilling our fundamental role, which is as a convener. So speaking of convenings, that's Mm -hmm. something in the past, since the hurricane specifically, Mm -hmm. um, we've had, well, even before the hurricanes, we've Mm -hmm. had several. And so when you talk about convening, what does convening mean to you? Holding space. It's um, how do you invite 
people into you know I, I I remember when we were having our town halls and I you know that that was such a, a really interesting time we were having our town halls last year around the refinery mm-hmm. we invited everyone we invited you know policymakers we invited I remember a senator said to me oh um, you know the you know I talked to a bunch of senators and they not come into anything the foundation hole because y'all are a joke. And, um, and we're not, you know, we're not going to participate. And I said, well, what, what an incredible opportunity you're missing, right? It's not like, and it was almost like you're saying it to injure us. And it was like, it was such a special space because we didn't all agree. We weren't all in agreement. Not everybody sitting in that space was um, sort of had positions that were aligned. And yet at the same time, the fact that we, could create a space where divergent, you know, perspectives could come together and work, try to work through a problem to me was, you know, was the opportunity that, you know, we all had that we, you know, we stepped into. And so I, I continue to advocate for um, more of our quote unquote leaders and policymakers to build competency around collaboration and around um, sitting in space where, you know, not all positions are aligned. So when you talk about more of our leaders being exposed, mm-hmm. one, to the way in which we work, mm-hmm. um, and two, competencies around mm-hmm. collaboration. Recently, we mm-hmm. had a convening, and, and you know, I'm, I'm bringing this up because I just really feel like there's so much the public doesn't know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Sorry about that, mm-hmm. audience, about what St. Croix Foundation is doing and mm-hmm. what we do as a nonprofit mm-hmm. consortium. And we had a convening recently. It was a quiet convening, a quiet convening of leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want you to talk just like quickly. What was what did we what was that about? Because it it to me is one of our most meaningful listening spaces when we invite when we have our apolitical forum. Uh, uh, and um, yes, it's really a listening space. And so that's a different yeah. way to also yeah. hold space. So, yeah. Yeah, that and you, I was like looking at summer like what what convening we have so many convenings but yeah that's a that's one that we do quietly that we um, we've done for the last three elections um, where we bring policymakers and aspirants to a room whether it's a virtual room or a real room um, to listen they they don't get an opportunity to speak they they have access to the chat but their role is to just listen to our civic leaders. And to listen to both the challenges and the assets, the opportunities that exist in this sector. Um, You know, there's so much that we bring to the work that all of us are trying to advance to make this community better. Um, Because our nonprofits, uh, they serve closest to the ground. They serve closest to the most vulnerable, underserved, marginalized um, parts of our community and people in our community and to give them the floor, to give them the opportunity as a convener to just be able to share their work and to advance um, their vision, their vision, which almost never gets you know invited to be included in decision-making and conversations that are happening at the highest levels, but to give them the stage and to have policymakers exercise some discipline where they don't get to talk. Um, and it's a safe space. We don't, it's not, we, we didn't publicize it. It wasn't necessarily open to the, the public. It was really just between us and them. And um, I think this year was one of our most powerful. It was really a very, very like I walked away feeling like, wow, I'm so privileged and proud to be a part of this 
um, this tribe, this uh, circle of of civic leaders. And I'm really grateful that our policymakers and aspirants came and actually really listened and listened actively. So in 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 analyze this tradition mm-hmm. the phone gets a few texts i'm not yeah. neville right <laughs> i don't get all the texts neville get but i got a text that i want to share with you right okay. it says um the three r's and so this person's listening to you and they said revolutionary her word that describes her relationship what she's building resolution what she's working towards right so we have really thoughtful <laughs> listeners this morning who are are hearing you mm-hmm. and um thinking about the work and what it is we're presenting in this little short hour that yes. we're together and that made me happy yeah. that someone out there yes, got listening. what we're talking about <laughs> because it's important as we round out the hour i just mm-hmm. want to give you a moment to speak to our listening audience mm-hmm. about philanthropy saint croix liberation revolution whatever whatever is on your heart to share mm-hmm. because uh, you know it's rare that we have the energy <laughs> in the building so i'll, I'll share what i the, the motto, the internal model that we, um, I try to advance as a leader. And that is that, you know, the, the theme of, of food and wine is simple abundance. That's really what we've, we've just adopted it as our theme. But as a leader, I, I, I think there are some like formulas for how you do great work and how you lead change. And it is take only what you need and give more than you get. And like, when I think about us, we, we don't have an endowment. We have to struggle just like every other nonprofit to get through the year and to advance these, you know, great, you know, projects and vision that we have. And somehow, some way, every year we get through the year. And we have this list of accomplishments that sometimes it boggles our mind, like, how did we do that? And I believe because we, we live by that formula. We take only what we need and we give more than we get. And then the last piece, I think, is that this concept of systems change, like that we spend so much time talking about how do we how do we move past these deeply entrenched challenges that we have in the Virgin Islands? And we believe it's like just thinking about the way to bypass the system, like building new systems and not getting like, you know, sort of rooted in like the way we used to do things, that there are really innovative and in some ways simpler ways to do things. And I think... That's what we're moving towards. Thank you, Deanna James, for joining Mm -hmm. us on Analyze This this morning. We will see you after the break. The views and opinions expressed on Analyze This are entirely those of the on-air participants and do not reflect those of the station's board, management, staff, or underwriters. El sistema de elecciones de las Islas Vírgenes lo está haciendo más fácil para que tú formes parte de nuestro equipo por medio de nuestro programa de voluntarios. Estamos en busca de personas buenas como tú que puedan proveer a cada votante el apoyo que necesitan para que efectivamente puedan participar en el proceso de votación. Puede comenzar recogiendo y completando la aplicación para voluntarios de cualquiera de nuestras oficinas en el territorio. Usted puede servir como monitor. También tienes la opción de convertirte en un facilitador, asegurando que los votantes que están votando por primera vez, los envejecientes y la comunidad de deshabilitados puedan votar con confidencia y acertadamente. 
Si tienes el tiempo y estás dispuesto a servir, hay un lugar para ti. Solo inscríbete. Si quieres más información, llama al 340-773-1021. Y recuerda, el votar no es solo su derecho, es lo correcto hacer. 